Welcome to another episode of What's at Stake, a Penta podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Christensen, a partner of Penta and co-lead of our AI task force. Joining me on the podcast today is my colleague, Scott Haber-Catris, a senior director at Penta and one of our resident tech experts, and Stephen Overly, the host of Politico Tech, a daily podcast that explores the ways technology is disrupting politics and policy. Stephen has over a decade of experience covering business, tech, and politics. Prior to joining Politico as a tech reporter in 2017, he spent seven years at the Washington Post covering business and tech. Thank you both for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Happy to be here. Scott, you've you've also been in D.C. for a long time. You've been working in tech for a long time, including at the Internet Association, where you worked on Section 230 and net neutrality. What's your perspective on the latest developments and the likelihood of meaningful meaningful lawmaking on AI? Yeah, so um, I would say that I'm... uh, not particularly hopeful that anything happens in the near future. And like, I think, uh, I I don't know that that would be surprising to anyone that's been following tech issues broadly. I'd say legislating is just very hard as as a general rule. I remember uh, one of the things I worked on at Internet Association was the Music Modernization Act. It was a thing that everybody in the music industry agreed on. So like the recording industry, all of the streaming companies, et cetera, et cetera, um, wanted to modernize how uh, payments were made for online streaming services. I remembered that the music industry, all the streaming, uh, all the streaming companies, etc., wanted to modernize a specific piece of how uh, licensing for online streaming worked and how everybody got paid for it. The law hadn't been updated since the early 1900s when, like, player pianos were the main way that everybody listened to music. And um, it literally took a year and a ton of disagreement, and it nearly didn't happen. And that was something where. Everybody in the industry agreed it was not this giant sort of sweeping policy issue like AI that touches a whole bunch of sectors of our life. It was literally just like, we want to change some payments and sort of how this all works. And so, you know, from my perspective, legislating is very, very hard. I think to to Stephen's point, you know, they're doing a lot of the things right. Like, I do think that Schumer's, uh, Schumer's sort of holding these hearings. Um, you know, you have ex- you have engagement from industry, you have engagement from third parties, you have uh, members of Congress like interesting and in trying to learn as quickly as they can. But, you know, all of those are necessary ingredients, but not necessarily a recipe for actually getting anything done. And so I'm sort of waiting to see exactly where we coalesce on sort of all of this stuff. Right. Like there's a lot of issues where all of those boxes are checked. Right. Like everybody agrees. Industry is involved. Members are getting themselves educated. And we still don't see legislation passed. You know, you could look at privacy as an example of that in the tech space. You could also look at competition as an example of that in the tech space. Right. Like you had a four year long investigation in the House in the um, House Judiciary Committee looking at competition and still no legislation was passed, even though there was sort of bipartisan agreement on a bunch of things. And we could talk more about that. But, um, yeah, I'd say that's sort of where I am on this is that, um, there's a chance, but any legislating is hard. And so we'll have to see sort of how this all shakes out. Yeah, it'll be interesting. I mean, it certainly seems remarkably bipartisan right now. And there's definitely industry engagement. But, you know, once you get into the details, that's where the devil is. So, um, Stephen, we're going to take a little bit of a step back. You've covered technology. You've covered trade um, across your career. So I'd be interested how your perspective on technology has changed over the years and how it um, kind of is impacting society. And then also, you know, how did trade and technology work together? Are they coming closer? Are they dissimilar? What's kind of your broader view on that? Yeah, I started covering tech in about 2010. And a lot of the coverage in those days, what I is what I call gee whiz tech coverage, right? You know, social media was really still taking off. Uh, The iPhone had come out a few years before, but smartphones and mobile were really still transforming, you know, industries and and how we go about our daily lives. And so much of the coverage was, you know, look at this fun new app. Here's a profile of an interesting startup. 
there was not as much critic there's not as much of a critical eye about technology and its effects on society then around i would really say 2016 in the presidential election you saw the pendulum make a very hard swing toward heavy tech criticism a lot of criticism and scrutiny around misinformation around online speech moderation and and then following that a lot of criticisms around market dominance and the size of big tech companies I do think now we're starting to see the pendulum move toward the middle, where there's a recognition among regulators, among lawmakers, and and some in the press at least, that tech is both good and bad. It is both useful and harmful, and it it really comes down to how it's applied and how it's regulated. And so I I do think, especially with this new conversation around AI, you're really starting to see it framed in those terms. And in terms of trade, I'll just say, you know, I. I thought I was leaving the tech beat when I started covering trade, uh, and I, I realized very quickly that tech will follow you everywhere. You know, so much, so much of our our foreign business relationships, our foreign national security relationships, are dominated by tech nowadays. Whether that's AI, whether that is microchips, whether that is privacy, and so there, there's really no global conversation that is taking place right now where tech is not some sort of facet. At play. Yeah. And I think that your description of the tension between the good and the bad and the uh, around tech more broadly is really relevant to AI. So I want to circle back there quickly because there's been kind of two groups, well, three groups really, right? There's, it's going to be utopia, everyone's going to die and, um, you know, probably going to be somewhere in the middle, right? There's tension between good and bad. And so I want to talk a little bit about how we think AI is going to impact white collar workers. Um, Stephen, what's your view on how policymakers and businesses should be thinking about it at kind of this early stage we're in? Absolutely. One of, the fascin- one of the most fascinating dimensions of AI to me is its impact on the labor force. You know, we've seen over recent decades uh, technology advancement and automation really decimate and at the very least disrupt a lot of industries uh, involving a lot of manual labor, manufacturing work, et cetera. And now with artificial intelligence, some of those same dynamics are coming for white collar workers, people like myself working in media or you all working in communications. Um, But that includes business executives. I just read an article about uh, artificial intelligence being put up against a bunch of MBAs to kind of come up with new creative business strategies and AI completely trounced the MBAs in that competition. Um, We've seen applications in the medical field, for instance, where AI is not necessarily replacing the doctor, but certainly uh, replacing some of the functions of a doctor. And so uh, that will have far-reaching consequences for all of those industries and more. Uh, That will, I think, probably include layoffs and downsizing. That will include, though, changes to how we do our jobs. And so the the exact calibration of that, I, I don't think is figured out yet. You know, are we are we going to see massive layoffs or are we going to see just changes in how we work? And to some degree, I think that will come down to two key factors. One is the development of AI, how sophisticated it is and how quickly it, it is developed into these different industries. And then the other side of that, as always, is how quickly AI is adopted, you know, how how fast companies are to bring this technology into their operations 
and use it to replace or supplement their workforces. And it is just too early to tell. You've started to see some companies kind of stake different claims or, or pursue each of those tracks. But at, at the end of the day, we are going to go through a period and we're already starting to go through a period where companies will have to figure out how much AI they're going to use and in what way they're going to use it. Yeah. And one thing that Senator Schumer has really underscored as a part of his listening sessions and forums and things like that is safety, right? Innovation and safety. But one thing, do you think we're at the point where as all of these tech executives gather today, should they be talking about a trade justice men assistance or something like a UBI down the line? Or is it too soon to be talking about those kind of policies? What's funny is I've asked this question a lot around Washington because I'm very personally curious about it. And, and really, it, that conversation does not seem to be happening. I don't know, though, that that's a sign that it's too early to be having that conversation because there are other countries that are doing it. And there are some uh, political figures kind of raising those questions. A prime example, I, I just had a conversation recently with Andrew Yang. Um, who was talking about UBI and uh, and kind of uh, was talking about UBI and the transformation of technology back during his presidential race. And he's still talking about it today, even though other politicians have not fully latched on to it. Um, and so I, I guess all that to say, I don't think it's too early, but that conversation is not happening, at least not yet. And so the challenge will become how quickly then can that kind of program be put in place if and when it's needed? And a lot of people I talk to, tech experts, civil society experts, you name it, say that it probably will be needed and probably sooner than many of us realize. Thanks. And and thinking about things that policymakers aren't necessarily thinking about or businesses aren't thinking about, Scott, I wanted to get kind of your perspective on what are the dark horse AI issues that um, are sort of flying under the radar. Sure. So I would say um, I think there's one. I, I have two answers for you. I'd say the first is is education, and I think that's both in, in the terms of uh, how people are going to learn, but then also like how we're going to have to fundamentally rethink a lot of how education currently happens. And we're starting to see those conversations, but candidly, like I think that because back to school is happening now, it's about to become a much bigger part of the conversation, both at like the university level, but also in the like K through twelve uh, zone. So on the first piece, right, um, because AI can generate like relatively good prose and help with problem solving that otherwise was like assigned in homework or things that people could do on their own, I think there's just going, you know, I think that one, people may be able to more quickly grasp concepts they might not understand or uh, more quickly learn things, but also like they might just not have to because the like, you know, chat GPT or BART or what have you can do the work for them. And I don't know that schools, as far as I've seen, have really fully grappled with the implications for that in terms of like our education system broadly. I know that's a little bit of a glib, a glib statement, but um, I do think there's going to be some fundamental shifts in like how teachers are going to have to approach assigning work, taking tests, assessing people's skills, because fundamentally a lot of the ways that they used to do that were um, are, are, you know, can be done at a relatively high level by um, you know, the current models that are the, the current LLMs that are out there. And candidly, like there are better ones coming soon um, and they're likely to, you know, come here faster than they think, you know, on on the flip side, in terms of like what that what that means for for policy or schools, et cetera. Like, I do think that there's some real opportunities to improve how we teach. Right. I remember um, 
listening to, I want to say, was the Hard Fork podcast where they interviewed a teacher. And, and the teacher said that, actually, you know, this actually makes my job as an educator much easier. You know, if I'm trying to grade, you know, 30 third grade level essays for grammar and spelling and provide feedback, like... I can have a I can have generative AI do that for me, and that frees up my time to actually work with um, you know work with students on creative ideas or work with students on the structure of their argument or, or things that you know the the models aren't quite there yet, and so it actually can unlock a lot of time for teachers um, or or educators at large, and so I think there's going to be some really big opportunities to. Um, you know, uh, Im- improve education, improve outcomes for folks. But also there's going to have to sort of be a little bit of a fundamental shift in how we think about and approach some of this, because, you know, the, the ways that we've measured aptitude, the ways that we've uh, like, uh, you know, measured how well people are doing in a class or how they're learning just simply aren't going to work when there's, you know, a, a free way to have a, you know, an LLM do the work for you. Very, very true. Thanks, Scott. And speaking of disruption, um, we talked a little bit. There's going to be a lot of disruption for a lot of industries. But, you know, Stephen, you've been in journalism your whole career. Um, you know, what's your view on how AI and other tech is going to impact journalism in the future? Uh, well, I hope I'm not about to be replaced by a robot. I guess I should start there. I don't know. Uh, I don't know how good of a podcast host AI is yet, but uh, hopefully that technology doesn't develop very quickly. Um no, I mean, AI is something that in journalism we're already experimenting with to various degrees, you know, um, both in terms of our journalism. So everything from generating headline suggestions to writing entire news stories. You see news organizations experimenting with that. There are also news organizations experimenting on kind of the back end because these are also businesses, right? So using AI internally for various functions to, to make their, their organization more efficient. Um, at the end of the day, I guess I'm still a believer in the importance of a human touch in journalism. You know, I, if I just think of like the, some of the key facets of my job, I spent so much of my day talking to human sources, you know, chasing lawmakers on the Hill, uh, talking to uh, regulators and officials in various federal agencies, some on the record for the podcast, some off the record, right? Just to, to get information. And I don't know that AI will ever be able to do that, right? Um, or, or I struggle. I'm, I should say, I should never say that AI can never do anything because I will guarantee you I'll be proven wrong. But I struggle to see how AI can kind of replicate that human-to-human interaction, that kind of very nuanced, very dogged, frankly, kind of pursuit of facts that is a hallmark of good journalism. But I can easily see AI replacing some other functions in journalism, you know, writing writing a story off of a a hearing on Capitol Hill, for instance. Um, AI may not be able to chase the lawmaker after the hearing and and ask them follow-up questions, but I bet it could generate, you know, some, some start of a news story on the hearing itself that maybe then is edited by a human being. And so, like all industries, journalism is going to be grappling with this, and and is already starting to grapple with this. Um, and and I don't I don't quite know where that will lead yet. Uh, but I will say I've had several guests on the podcast already, uh, sort of ask me oh, what what's my next career plan because who knows how long this one will be around. Uh, so uh, I guess maybe I should start working on that. Well, that is actually a good segue into I've got two final more rapid fire questions. Um, 
And the first one is for both of you. Um, we talked a little bit about the spectrum of utopia to dystopia. And um, I'm curious, uh, where do you both land on that as it relates to AI? Rob, do you want to go first? Sure, I'm, ha- I'm happy to go first. So, um, you know, I, I think there's two ways that I think about this. Sorry, this isn't a rapid fire answer, but I think there's two ways that I think about this. So one, um, Ezra Klein published that really big piece in the Times, I want to say sometime earlier this year. And um, the thing that's been stuck in my head is that, you know, the, the lead to the piece talks about how the human brain is really good at predicting patterns. Like, you know, if you wake up and you walk outside, like you kind of know the sidewalk's going to be there because that's the way it works. And our brain is sort of tailored to sort of accept that the way things were, the way things is the way that things are going to be. Um, you know, and, and his argument was basically that AI is so fundamentally different that like the human brain is going to be very bad at anticipating how and where uh, it's going to change our society and and what's going to happen because it's just such a like paradigmatic shift from, um, you know, the last mille- several millennia of how humans have lived. Um, and I think that's a, a, a good point that's well taken from my perspective. But on the flip side, you know, I think we're, um, you know, I, I think we're already starting to see some of the limitations, at least at present, of how much AI is going to be able to change or shift what we're doing. I think. I completely agree with everything Stephen said about the sort of the fundamental shifts, especially in like services industries, whether it's journalism, professional services, et cetera, et cetera, um, and how that work is done. But on the flip side, you know, we're already seeing that um, it's really hard to build new generative AI models because there's so much um, AI generated text on the Internet that it's hard to get a sufficient amount of information to build a stronger model or build a model that's actually going to be better or include relevant new information as opposed to um, you know the models that were sort of drawing on data from pre-2021 where we didn't see a ton of um, we didn't see a ton of AI generated text. And so we're sort of already starting to see how and where and you know we obviously have the hallucination problem too, which we don't need to talk about too much. Um, so we're already starting to see sort of exactly where and how um, like AI can help and also some of the limitations. So I don't think that we're going to end up in some sort of like deeply dystopic uh, society where, you know, there's like 10 people who have jobs and everybody else has been replaced by machines. Um, on, but on the flip side, like I do think there, there are going to be some big shifts. You know, we've, we've seen some big shifts as Stephen discussed, both in terms of uh, trade and also in terms of automation and, you know, society, th- there were changes in society. There, there are ways that lawmakers and legislators and, you know, we as a, we as a, a whole nation should be thinking about and how to address those problems. But I don't, I don't necessarily see this as some sort of, uh, I mean, I don't, I don't, at least in the near future, I don't necessarily see this as some sort of massive, massive societal upheaval event that's going to happen. All right. Steven, what do you think? Yeah. I, I've interviewed both the doomsdayers and the like eternal optimists. And there is actually a commonality that I see, and it, it might be a sliver, right? But if, if you have a Venn diagram with dystopians on one side, utopians on the other, usually the dystopians say, you know, this is what will happen if we don't manage AI properly. And the optimists will say, or the utopians will say, this is what can happen, but we do need to manage some of the risks of AI, right? And and that kind of caveat on each side is like that sliver in the middle of the Venn diagram where both people live. And that, frankly, that on the podcast, that slight overlap is what I'm most interested in because we are in a critical moment with AI where if you regulate it and put the right guardrails on it, we could see a lot of upside and limit a downside. But as we talked about earlier, if, if past is precedent, the track record on regulating technology, certainly out of Washington, is very poor. And so I, I do think it is an open question whether 
any kind of uh, proper uh, measures are put in place to guarantee things like safety and privacy and job security, et cetera. And, and if that doesn't happen, then I, I don't know. I, I have to think that the dystopians make a good point, you know, because uh, the, the one I, 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 I'm also bad at the rapid fire, so I apologize. But the one point I'm so fascinated by that I hear over and over again is concerns from technologists, from people who develop AI, concerns that there will come a point where AI starts to develop itself and evolves beyond human understanding of it. And maybe maybe that's farther away than some people predict, but I, I find that concept to be troubling because you know this notion that if AI gets out of out of hand, you can just unplug it. Uh, I, I, I think that's a pretty uh, pretty basic understanding of what is a very uh, sophisticated technology. Well, and you are also segueing me into my final last question. You must be a journalist or something um, to anticipate so well. But the final question is, if America had to agree on one thing as it relates to AI regulation, what would it be? And Stephen, I'm going to ask you first. I do have an answer for this. I will distinguish America from Congress because I think uh, that and a lot of issues, including this one, uh, I don't know that Congress will actually be reflective of America, which a lot of polling suggests most Americans do want AI regulation. And I think one of the regulations many Americans probably would agree on, if not most Americans would agree on, is disclosure when AI is being used, especially generative AI. People want to know that the video or images or audio that they're engaging with online is real. And if it's not real, they want to know that up front. Um, and, there's, and if they don't know that, there are many implications, everything from our entertainment to our politics. And so that to me is sort of a, an area of regulation, simply requiring that the use of AI be disclosed is something I think a lot of people would be on board with. All right, Scott, what do you think? Um, I mean, I think Stephen's answer is going to be smarter than mine, and I'm just going to endorse everything he just said. Um, but I, you know, one thing that I that I have been thinking a lot about is like the uh, is the open source nature of some of these models, right? So we're currently at the point where like uh, you know, an, an LLM or any any other model right now can like mostly muddle through, but it's you know it's not perfect, et cetera, et cetera. At the point where there's sort of no regulation or no oversight and sort of anyone can download a piece of technology that could, say, like perfectly impersonate somebody else or generate an enormous amount of uh, text in a certain, you know, you know, uh, on a certain topic or that sort of thing. Like, I think that might be a place where the the whole like, you know, society goes off the rails. We end up in the dystopic world, et cetera, becomes a much more serious issue. And so to me, like finding a way to address and, you know, uh, finding some way to either license or control the spread and use of of very, very powerful LLMs um, that could, you know, impersonate humans, uh, do that sort of thing is one of the bigger uh, one of the bigger pieces that I think is going to be really important to address, you know, along with all of the other things we've discussed today. Yeah. So this is obviously we're just uh, tip of the iceberg over here. But Stephen and Scott, thank you so much for joining the show today. To our listeners, remember to like and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts and follow us on Twitter at Pentagroup. And be sure to tune in to Politico Tech with Stephen Overly, reporting daily on the intersection between tech and politics. I'm your host, Andrea Christensen. And as always, thanks for listening to What's at Stake.